We are talking about confession, yes. By way of introduction, uh, we'll be talking about the prodigal son who shows us how to possess the kingdom of God in story form, a great example in the Bible of what the kingdom of God looks like. How by paralleling the 12 steps of addiction theory, which are based in biblical principles, and summarizing some of these, we step one, two, and three, uh, product son had to admit in reality that he, uh, the reality of sin in our lives, the son came to his senses, he stopped acting out, right? Uh, from what, what could we say? There's a little uh, kid's video called The Donut Man. I don't know if you guys have seen that. So, um, Basically, this guy summed up the gospel for Sunday school as a donut. We all have a donut-shaped hole in our heart that only God can fill. So in adult form, I like to say we tend to fill it with people, places, and things. People, places, and things. More specifically, the five Ps I've talked about, power, position, possessions, performance, or people what some people call love addiction. Love addiction. The prodigal son had to have hope that his father's house, there was actually food from all his running. And then taking the steps of true repentance is actually turning and going home. So by way of introduction, just a word of warning, I've, uh, we'll be contrasting, comparing and contrasting the prodigal son and the sin of uh, King David, um, this step is turning over to God all our imperfections, the small, large and small things in our lives. And step four of the 12 Steps program is taking a fearless moral inventory. So we know some of the sins of the prodigal son, right? Who knows why he was acting out in that far-off land, but King David will be comparing and contrasting his sin with Bathsheba, and I've got, uh, by way of warning, I've got a, a video to show you of his, uh, of a, a graphic scene out of Braveheart, so if you're squeamish with an R-rated movie with violence, swordplay, uh, stabbing, and all that stuff, feel free to step away during that time, okay? So what does God want from us? God wants us to be holy, right? God wants to change all our imperfections and replace it with glory. 2 Corinthians 7, we shared this passage, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. God uh, the Bible depicts our lives as gold, right? Purifying gold and getting rid of all the impurities. God wants us in Ephesians in 4.23, we need to be made new in our attitude of our minds, to put on a new self, to be create, created like God in true righteousness and holiness. But I believe the uh, prodigal son's story is a wonderful story. We could only... Uh, take a real honest look at ourselves 
when we know we have the full unconditional embrace of God. First John 4.18 talks about there's no fear in love, but perfect love dries out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. So I'm, I'm proposing that, uh, you know, those that are involved with 12-step programs, this moral inventory really can't be done in, tr- in reality, in true honestly, without coming to God and knowing our full acceptance in God. We can only do a fearless moral inventory Looking at the good, bad, ugly, hurt, could be abuse, generational sin. When we are securing God's embrace, when we stop acting out, looking for that God-shaped donut hole, (laughs) trying to control things, people, places, and things, you know, honestly, uh, if we're honest, you know, we all stumble with this. I stumble with this, trying to fill, be fulfilled with our senses, codependency, codependently expecting too much from my own family, right? That's what codependency is. Giving people the place of God in our lives, our object of worship, our children, and meeting our needs and always uh, giving them too much of our place of worship and giving expecting them to meet our needs, and always, always, always being disappointed. (laughs) That's what codependency is. Like the prodigal, we need to hit bottom and experience that pain of emptiness from what we get from false gods that leave us starved, and finally, hopefully, we come to our senses. So this is step four in the 12-step program, taking an honest searching and fearless moral inventory. Here in the, here in the uh, Luke 15 story of the prodigal son, he says, Father, I have sinned. I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That's interesting. These words echo what King David said in Psalm 51 when he was confronted with his sin with Bathsheba. So let's take a look. The story of King David. Feel free, um, this is in uh, 2 Samuel, if you want to jot that down. Feel free to follow along here. At the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men. Skipping ahead a little bit. But David remained in Jerusalem. Well, that was the first part of his sin, this escalation of things. He was not where he should be. <laughs> that's, a, that's the first thing. He was not where he should have been, leading his men. He was a leader. Kings went off to war. He was relaxing in Jerusalem. And one evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace From the roof, he saw a woman. Not only that, she was bathing. So I assume the palace was the biggest structure in the the town. He saw a woman that was bathing, and she was very beautiful. And this is his next act of his going off to a far-off land. He sent someone 
to find out about her. Okay, he didn't quite sin yet, but he sent someone inquiring about her. And then they came back with some intelligence. She is called Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So here's the escalation here. The escalation. This was just not a single woman that he could have, I don't know, courted and added as a wife. But she was a daughter of someone who had, uh, was in the middle class and was the wife of Uriah, a commander in the army. She was just not anybody. But yet, he sent his messengers to get her. All right? She came to him. He slept with her. His addiction, regardless of the consequences, he slept with her. Then she went back home, and the woman conceived, and word was sent to David, saying, I am pregnant. The consequences of David's sin. Let's continue on. The escalation of his sin. So David sent word to Joab. Well, first he realized, oh my gosh, Bathsheba's pregnant. (laughs) Now what am I going to (laughs) do? So his plan of cover-up begins. So David sent word to Joab, "Send send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent to him, sent uh, him to David. When Uriah came to him, listen to what David is saying here. David asked asks, uh, Uriah how Joab was. How are things? How are the soldiers? How is the war going on? So he's making this small talk <laughs> with Uriah. Um, it's very interesting. This escalation of his deceit. Then David said to Uriah, why don't you go home? Go home and, and wash your feet. Take a, take a little leave of absence and, uh, from, from the trials of war. Go and wash up. Have a day off. Now, David could have come clean here. He could have confessed, right? He could have saved face and laid it all out there and said, I committed adultery with your wife and now she's pregnant. He could have said, be with your wife and save face with the kingdom. I have sinned against you. He could have done that, but no. He goes on uh, to uh, simply say, go home and we'll assume he's going to have relations with his wife she gets pregnant, and I'll be scot-free. This is his plan. So, but Uriah left the palace, and he got a gift from the king, was sent to him. I don't know, flowers, a fruit basket at home. Who knows? But Uriah slept, not at home, but at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants, and he did not go to his house. And David was told, Uriah did not go home. And he's going, What? So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why, did not you, why didn't you go home? <laughs> what's, what's wrong with you? You're messing up my plan of cover-up, basically. And Uriah, well, God, 
shows that Uriah is such a noble man. He says, The ark and all of Israel, the ark of the covenant, all of Israel and Judah are staying in tents. And my commander Joab, my commander, is with the Lord's men, capped in the open country. How could I go to my house, eat and drink, make love to my wife, and surely, as surely as I live, I will not do such a thing. So he felt guilty, right? Even his commander-in-chief was sleeping with the other men. So, I'll start this with a quote, see if you guys could finish it. When we first practice to deceive, you guys remember that one? Oops. Oh, what tangled web we weave when we first practice to deceive. You guys heard of that one? It's often attributed to Shakespeare, but actually Sir Walter Scott came up with that one. So David says he had many chances to come clean, but he says to Uriah, well, stay here one more day. <laughs> stay here one more day, then I'll send you, send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem uh, until the next day, and at David's invitation, he got him drunk, hopefully hoping he would forget the travails of war and have a holiday and then go home. But again, Uriah went out and slept on his mat with his, amongst his servants, and he did not go home. In the morning, so in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. Okay, this escalation here. In, Ur in Uriah's hand was a letter from David that was basically his own death sentence that he brought back. He wrote to Joab, his commander, put Uriah out in front, on the front lines, where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so that he will be struck down and die. Wow. This is how far David went. So Joab, so Uriah went back to the front lines, carrying this letter with him, his own death sentence, gave it to Joab. Joab, the commander-in-chief, put Uriah in place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab and the men of David's army, many fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Wow. Joab sent David a full of, of account, and he got word that your servant Uriah the Hittite was dead. So what's interesting here is... Joab, if you notice closely, Joab didn't follow David's instruction exactly, did he? Right? David's instruction was to put Uriah the Hittite in the front lines and then withdraw from him so that he would be struck down. But Joab put Uriah with other men and then they started fighting against the other people. Along with Uriah, other men fell as well. So here's a scene out of Braveheart of when some of the lords 
betrayed William Wallace. This is what King David planned for Uriah. The plan was they were going to clash and then they wave in the other guys, the other lords to come in. But two of the lords were bought off, betrayed William Wallace in the Battle of Falkirk. So this is what David planned, the depth of his far-off land. So after this, when he found out that Uriah had fallen, David brought Bathsheba into his house. She bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased, displeased the Lord. Second Samuel chapter 2, Nathan, the prophet, rebukes David, and it's interesting. He gives his own interpretation of what just occurred. Listen to this uh, parable that Nathan came to David with. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, you know, there were two men. There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one ewe lamb that he bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now the travel, a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man, and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Now David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And Nathan said to David, You are that man. You are that man. David, after being confronted, falls to his knees and confesses, I have sinned against the Lord. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away my iniquities, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. Against you, only you, have I sinned and have done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. That's interesting. Though some believe King David's confession that's recorded in Psalm 51 highlights the magnitude of his sin his true uh, remorse, not just against humans, but ultimately against God. He says, against God who is just to judge and take, who is just to even take David's life for a life. 
However, it's interesting. It's always bothered me, hasn't it? Here he sinned about against all these people, <laughs> committed murder, cover up, and then his confession is, God, against only you, only you have I sinned. I always thought that was kind of strange. Um, however, like I said, the story does not record any remorse over all the people that he sinned against, murder, adultery, abuse, coveting. The confession of the prodigal is much more complete and includes remorse not only against heaven, but the Father as well. He says, against, I have sinned against heaven and against you, Father. I am no longer worthy to become your son. It's kind of interesting. I believe he takes a fuller confession and remorse. And ultimately, as we'll see later in the 12 steps, there's even a step of making amends, making amends in the 12-step program. So this is the step, confession. This is the step of the 12-step uh, program. It reads like this. We admitted to God ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Wow. I'm not sure that King David did that. He certainly confessed. <laughs> but when did he confess? When he was confronted with, by Nathan, right? The prodigal son came to his senses, his sense of reality, his sense of remorse on his own. Step five of the 12-step program, we admitted to God ourselves and to another person, another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. It likens to James 5 that says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. It doesn't say so that you may be forgiven, right? We confess our sins to God. God is uh, faithful and just to forgive our sins. But he says, confess your sins to each other in, a whole, in, in community so that we may be healed. It's interesting. This is where I believe true healing may come from. Again, there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. This is the relationship that God models for us as we come to God. And we need to learn to model this with each other. So this is step four. So let's uh, transition in a couple songs. Here's one song we're going to uh, worship with. Then we'll transition to our communion service, okay? The prodigal son shows us how to possess the kingdom of God by giving us practical steps of what he did, paralleled with the 12 steps of addiction admitting the reality of sin in our lives, the son came to his senses and stopped acting out, stopped his, whatever he's filling his heart with, looking for love in all the wrong places, having hope that is at his father's house, there's food, taking the steps of faith, returning home.
we need to also look at our own codependencies on people, placing our objects of worship too much at the feet of people, relationships, manipulating friends, coworkers, boyfriends, girlfriends, spouses, your pastor, institutions as a replacement for God. I even read from a pastor friend of mine, even pornography, the addiction of pornography is seeking for love of God, for love and acceptance and forgiveness. I believe truly what makes this all work is the love of our God and Father and the support of community. All right, let's close with this last song and then we'll be dismissed for fellowship, okay? To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy.